Here are the ungodly, and they have no Christ to pray for their safe conduct to glory. But the saints have an intercessor. Job 17, verse 9. Here are the worlds. When they die, they have none of the angels of God to attend upon them. But the saints have their company. In a word, the unconverted person, when he dies, sinks into the bottomless pit. But the saints, when they die, ascend with and by the angels into Abraham's bosom, or into unspeakable glory. Luke 23, verse 43. Again it is said that the rich man, when he died, was buried or put into the earth. But when the beggar died, he was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The one is a very excellent style where it saith, He was carried by angels into Abraham's bosom. It denotes the excellent condition of the saints of God, as I said before. And not only so, but also the preciousness of the death of the saints in the eyes of the Lord. Psalm 116, verse 15. After generations may see how precious in the sight of the Lord the death of his saints is, when he saith, They are carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Thus many times the Lord adorneth the death and departure of his saints to hold forth to after generations how excellent they are in his eyes. It is said of Enoch that God took him, of Abraham that he died in a good old age, of Moses that the Lord buried him, of Elijah that he was taken up into heaven, that the saints die in the Lord, that they sleep in Jesus, that they rest from their labors, and that their work follow them, that they are under the altar, that they are with Christ, that they are in light, that they are to come with the Lord Jesus to judge the world. All which things signify thus much, that to die as a saint is a very great honor and dignity. But the ungodly are not so. The rich man dies and is buried. He is carried from his dwelling to his grave, and there he is hid in the dust, and his body doth not so fast molder and come to naught there, as his name doth stink as fast in the world. As saith the Holy Scripture, the name of the wicked shall rot. And indeed the names of the godly are not so in much honor after their departure, but the wicked and their names do as much rot. What a dishonor to posterity was the death of Balaam, Agag, Ahithophel, Haman, Judas, Herod, with the rest of their companions. Thus the wicked have their names written in the earth, and they do perish and rot. But the names of the saints cast forth a dainty savor to following generations. And that the Lord Jesus doth signify where he saith, The godly are carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom, and that the wicked are nothing worse where he saith, The ungodly die and are buried. Chapter 5, page 24 And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torment, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. Verse 23 the former verse speaks only of the departure of the ungodly out of this life, together with the glorious conduct that the godly have into the kingdom of their father. Now our Lord doth show in this verse partly what doth and shall befall the reprobate after this life is ended, where he saith, and in hell he lift up his eyes. That is, the ungodly, after they depart this life, do lift up their eyes in hell. From these words may be observed these things. One, that there is a hell for souls to be tormented in when this life is ended. Mark, after he was dead and buried, in hell he lift up his eyes. 2. That all that are ungodly and do live and die in their sins, so soon as ever they die, they go into hell. He died and was buried, 
and in hell he lift up his eyes. 3. That some are fast asleep and so secure in their sins that they scarce know well where they are till they come into hell. And that, I gather from these words, in hell he lift up his eyes. He was asleep before, but hell makes him lift up his eyes. As I said before, it is evident there is a hell for souls, yea, and bodies too, to be tormented in after they depart this life, as is clear. First, because the Lord Jesus Christ, that cannot lie, did say, that after the sinner was dead and buried, in hell he lift up his eyes. Now if it be objected that by hell is here meant the grave, that I plainly deny. One, because there the body is not sensible of torment or ease, but in that hell into which the spirits of the damned depart, they are sensible of torment and would very willingly be free from it to enjoy ease, which they are sensible of the want of, as is clearly discovered in this parable. Send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water to cool my tongue. 2. It is not meant the grave, but some other place, because the bodies, so long as they live there, are not capable of lifting up their eyes to see the glorious condition of the children of God as the souls of the damned do. In hell he lift up his eyes. 3. It cannot be the grave, for then it must follow that the soul was buried there with the body, which cannot stand with such a dead state as is here mentioned, for he saith, The rich man died, that is, his soul was separated from his body, and in hell he lift up his eyes. If it be again objected that there is no hell but in this life, that I do also deny. As I said before, after he was dead and buried, in hell he lift up his eyes. And let me tell thee, O soul, whoever thou art, that if thou close not in savingly with the Lord Jesus Christ, and lay hold on what he hath done, and is doing in his own person for sinners, thou wilt find such a hell after this life is ended, that thou wilt not get out of again for ever and ever. And thou that art wanton, and dost make but a mock at the servants of the Lord, when they tell thee of the torments of hell, thou wilt find that when thou departest out of this life, that hell, even the hell which is after this life, will meet thee in thy journey thither, and will with its hellish crew give thee such a sad salutation that thou wilt not forget it to all eternity. When that scripture comes to be fulfilled on thy soul in Isaiah 14 verses 9 and 10, Hell from beneath it moved for thee, to meet thee at thy coming. It stirreth up the dead for thee, even all the chief ones of the earth. It hath raised up from their thrones all the kings of the nations. All they, that is, they that are in hell, shall say, Art thou also become weak as we? Art thou become like unto us? Oh, sometimes when I have had but thoughts of going to hell, and consider the everlastingness of their ruin that fall in thither, it hath stirred me up rather to seek to the Lord Jesus Christ to deliver me from thence than to slight it and make a mock at it. And in hell he lift up his eyes. The second thing that I told you was this, that all the ungodly that live and die in their sins, so soon as ever they depart this life, do descend into hell. This is also verified by the words in this parable where Christ saith, He died and was buried, and in hell he lift up his eyes. As the tree falls, so shall it lie, Ecclesiastes 11.3, whether it be to heaven or hell. And as Christ said to the thief on the cross, 
This day shalt thou be with me in paradise. Even so the devil, in the like manner, may say unto the soul, Tomorrow shalt thou be with me in hell. See then what a miserable case he that dies in an unregenerate state is in. He departs from a long sickness to a longer hell, from the grips of death to the everlasting torments of hell. And in hell he lift up his eyes. Ah, friends, if you were but yourselves, you would have a care of your souls. If you did but regard, you would see how mad they are that slight the salvation of their souls. Oh, what will it profit thy soul to have pleasure in this life and torment in hell? Mark 8.36 Thou hadst better part with all thy sins and pleasures and companions, and whatsoever thou delightest in, than to have soul and body cast into hell. Mark 9.43 Oh, then do not neglect our Lord Jesus Christ, lest thou drop down to hell. Hebrews 2.3 Consider would it not wound thee to thine heart to come upon thy deathbed, and instead of having the comfort of a well-spent life and the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ, together with the comfort of his glorious spirit, to have first the sight of an ill-spent life, thy sins flying in thy face, thy conscience uttering itself with thunderclaps against thee, the thoughts of God terrifying thee, death with his merciless paw seizing upon thee, the devil standing ready to scramble for thy soul, and hell enlarging herself and ready to swallow thee up, and then an eternity of misery and torment attending upon thee, from which there will be no release. For mark, death doth not come alone to an unconverted soul, but with such company as wast thou but sensible of it would make thee tremble. I pray consider that scripture, Revelation 6, 8, and I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat upon him was Death, and hell followed with him. Mark, Death doth not come alone to the ungodly, no, but hell goeth with him. O miserable comforters, O miserable society, here come death and hell unto thee. Death goeth into thy body, and separates body and soul asunder. Hell stands without, as I may say, to embrace or rather to crush thy soul between its everlasting grinders. Then thy mirth, thy joy, thy sinful delights will be ended when it comes to pass. Lo, it will come. Blessed are those that through Jesus Christ's mercies, by faith, do escape these soul-murdering companions. And in hell he lift up his eyes. The third thing you know that we did observe from these words was this that some are so fast asleep and secure in their sins that they scarce know where they are until they come into hell. And that I told you I gather by these words, in hell he lift up his eyes. Mark, it was in hell that he lift up his eyes. Now some do understand by these words that he came to himself or began to consider with himself or to think with himself in what a state he was and what he was deprived of which is still a confirmation of the thing laid down by me. There it is that they come to themselves, that is, that they are sensible where they are indeed. Thus it fares with some men, that they scarce know where they are, till they lift up their eyes in hell. It is with these people as with those that fall down in a swoon. You know if a man fall down in a swoon in one room, though you take him up and carry him into another, yet he is not sensible where he is till he comes to himself and lifts up his eyes. 
Truly thus, as it is to be feared, it is with many poor souls. They are so senseless, so hard, so feared in their conscience. 1 Timothy 4.2 That they are very ignorant of their state. And when death comes, it strikes them as it were into a swoon, especially if they die suddenly. And so they are hurried away and scarce know where they are, till in hell they lift up their eyes. This is he who dieth in his full strength, fully at ease and quiet. Job 21.23 Of this sort are they spoken of in Psalm 73, where it saith, There are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not troubled as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. And again, they spend their days in wealth, and in a moment, mark, in a moment, before they are aware, they go down into the grave. Job 21, verse 13. Indeed, this is too much known by woeful and daily experience. Sometimes when we go to visit them that are sick in the towns and places where we live, oh, how senseless, how feared in their conscience are they. They are neither sensible of heaven nor of hell, of sin nor of Savior. Speak to them of their condition and the state of their souls, and you shall find them as ignorant as if they had no souls to regard. Others, though they lie ready to die, yet they are busying themselves about their outward affairs, as though they should certainly live here, even to live and enjoy the same forever. Again come to others, speak to them about the state of their souls. Though they have no more experience of the new birth than a beast, yet will they speak as confidently of their eternal state and the welfare of their souls, as if they had the most excellent experience of any man or woman in the world, saying, I shall have peace. Deuteronomy 29:19. When, as I said even now, the Lord knows they are as ignorant of the new birth, of the nature and operation of faith, of the witness of the Spirit, as if there were no new birth, no faith, no witness of the Spirit of Christ in any of the saints in the world. Nay, thus many of them are, even an hour or less before their departure. Ah, poor souls! Though they may go away here like a lamb, as the world says, yet if you could but follow them a little to stand and listen, soon after their departure it is to be feared, you shall hear them roar like a lion at their first entrance into hell, far worse than ever did Korah and his company, when they went down quick into the ground. Numbers 16, verses 31 through 35. Now by this one thing doth the devil take great advantage on the hearts of the ignorant, suggesting to them that because the party deceased departed so quietly, without all doubt they are gone to rest and joy. When, alas, it is to be feared, the reason why they went away so quietly was rather because they were senseless and hardened in their conscience, yea, dead before in sin and trespasses. For had they but some awakenings on their deathbeds, as some have had, they would have made all the town ring of their doleful condition. But because they are seared and ignorant, and so departed quietly, therefore the world takes heart at grass, as we used to say, and makes no great matter of living and dying, they cannot tell how. Therefore pride compassed them as a chain. Psalm 73, verses 5 and 6 But let them look to themselves, for if they have not an interest in the Lord Jesus now, while they live in the world, they will, whether they die raging or still, go into the same place and lift up their eyes in hell.
O my friends, did you but know what a miserable condition they are in that go out of this world without an interest in the Son of God, it would make you smite upon your thigh, and in the bitterness of your souls cry out, Men and brethren, what shall we do to be saved? Acts 2.37 And not only so, sinner, but thou wouldst not be comforted until thou didst find a rest for thy soul in the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 6, page 30 And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. Verse 23 Something in brief I have observed from the first part of this verse, namely from these words, And in hell he lift up his eyes. And indeed I have observed but some things, for they are very full of matter, and many things might be taken notice of in them. There is one thing more that I might touch upon, as couched in this saying, and this is this. Methinks the Lord Jesus Christ doth hereby signify that men are naturally unwilling to see or to take notice of their sad state. I say by nature, but though now they are willingly ignorant, yet in hell they shall lift up their eyes. That is, in hell they shall see and understand their miserable condition, and therefore to these words, in hell he lift up his eyes, he adds, being in torments. As if he had said, though once they shut their eyes, though once they were willingly ignorant, 2 Peter 3, 5, yet when they depart into hell, they shall be so miserably handled and tormented that they shall be forced to open their eyes. While men live in this world and are in a natural state, they will have a good conceit of themselves and of their condition. They will conclude that they are Christians, that Abraham is their father, Matthew 3, 7, and 8, and that their state is as good as the best. They will conclude they have faith, the spirit, good hope, and interest in the Lord Jesus Christ. But when they drop into hell and lift up their eyes there and behold first their souls to be in extreme torment, their dwelling to be the bottomless pit, their company, thousands of damned souls, also the innumerable company of devils, and the hot scalding vengeance of God, not only to drop, but to fall very violently upon them, then they will be awakened, who all their lifetime were in a sleep. I say when this comes to pass, for lo it will, then in hell they shall lift up their eyes, in the midst of torment they shall lift up their eyes. Again you may observe in these words, and in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, that ungodly men will smart for their sins in the torments of hell. Now here I am put to stand when I consider the torments of hell into which the damned do fall. O unspeakable torments, O endless torments! Now that thy soul might be made to flee from those intolerable torments into which the damned do go, I shall show you briefly what are the torments of hell. First, by the names of hell. Secondly, by the sad state thou wilt be in if thou comest there. 1. The names. It is called a never-dying worm. Matthew 9. It is called an oven fire. Hot. Malachi 4. 1. It is called a furnace. A fiery furnace. Matthew 13. It is called the bottomless pit. The unquenchable fire. Fire and brimstone. Hell fire. A stream of fire. The lake of fire devouring fire, everlasting fire, eternal fire. Revelation 20, Matthew 3, and Mark 9. 1. One part of thy torments will be this. 
Thou shalt have a full sight of all thy ill-spent life from first to last. Though here thou canst sin day to day and forget it by tomorrow, yet there thou shalt be made to remember how thou didst sin against God at such a time and in such a place, for such a thing and with such a one, which will be a hell unto thee. Psalm 121 God will set by them thy sins in order before thine eyes. 2. Thou shalt have the guilt of them all lie heavy on thy soul, not only the guilt of one or two, but the guilt of them all together, and there they shall lie in thy soul as if thy belly were full of pitch and set on a light fire. Here men can sometimes think on their sins with delight, but there with unspeakable torment. For that I understand to be the fire that Christ speaketh of, which shall never be quenched. Mark 9, verses 43-47 through 47. While men live here, oh, how doth the guilt of one sin sometimes crush the soul. It makes a man in such a plight that he is weary of his life, so that he can neither rest at home nor abroad, nor either up nor in bed. Nay, I do not know, but they have been so tormented with the guilt of one sinful thought that they have been even at their wit's ends and have hanged themselves. But now when thou comest into hell, and hast not only one or two or a hundred sins, with the guilt of them all on thy soul and body, but all the sins that ever thou didst commit since thou camest into the world, all together clapped on thy conscience at one time, as one should clap a red-hot iron to thy breast, and there to continue to all eternity, this is miserable. 3. Again, then thou shalt have brought into thy remembrance the slighting of the gospel of Christ, here thou shalt consider how willingly Christ was to come into the world to save sinners, and for what a trifle thou didst reject him. This is plainly held forth in Isaiah 28, where, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, the foundation of salvation, in verse 16, he saith of them that reject the gospel, that when the overflowing scourge doth pass through the earth, which I understand to be at the end of the world, then saith he, It shall take you. Morning by morning, by day and by night, shall it pass over you, that is, continually without any intermission, and it shall be a vexation only to understand the report. A vexation, that is, a torment, or a great part of hell, only to understand the report, to understand the good tidings that came into the world by Christ's death for poor sinners. And you will find this verily to be the mind of the Spirit if you compare it with Isaiah 53, verse 1 where he speaks of men's turning their backs upon the tenders of God's grace in the gospel. He saith, Who hath believed our report, or the gospel declared by us? Now this will be a mighty torment to the ungodly, when they shall understand the goodness of God was so great that he even sent his Son out of his bosom to die for sinners, and yet that they should be so foolish as to put him off from one time to another, that they should be so foolish as to lose heaven and Christ and eternal life in glory for the society of a company of drunkards, that they should lose their souls for a little sport, for this world, for a trumpet, for that which is lighter than vanity and nothing. I say, this will be a very great torment unto thee. 4. Another part of thy torment will be this. Thou shalt see thy friends, thy acquaintance, thy neighbors. Nay, it may be thy father, thy mother, thy wife, thy husband, thy children, thy brother, thy sister, with others, 
in the kingdom of heaven and thyself thrust out. Luke 13.28 There shall be weeping, etc., when you shall see Abraham, your father, and Isaac and Jacob, together with your brethren, the prophets, in the kingdom of heaven, and you yourselves thrust out. Nay, saith he, they shall come from the east and from the west, that is, those that thou didst never see in all thy life before, and they shall sit down with thy friends and thy neighbors, thy wife and children, in the kingdom of heaven, and thou, for thy sins and disobedience, shalt be shut out, nay, thrust out. O wonderful torment! 5. Again thou shalt have none but a company of damned souls, with an innumerable company of devils, to keep company with thee. While thou art in this world, the very thoughts of the devils appearing to thee makes thy flesh to tremble, and thine hair ready to stand upright on thy head. But, oh, what wilt thou do, when not only the supposition of the devils appearing, but the real society of all the devils of hell will be with thee, howling and yelling, screeching and roaring in such a hideous manner, that thou wilt be even at thy wit's end, and be ready to run stark mad again for anguish and torment. 6. Again, that thou mightst be tormented to purpose, the mighty God of heaven will lay as great wrath and vengeance upon thee as ever he can, by the might of his glorious power. As I said before, thou shalt have his wrath, not by drops, but by whole showers shall it come, thunder, thunder upon thy body and soul, so fast and thick that thou shalt be tormented out of measure. And so saith the scripture, speaking of the wicked, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when the saints shall be admiring his goodness and glory. 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 9 and 10 Again, this thou shalt have, as I said before, without any intermission. Thou shalt not have any ease so long as while a man may turn himself round. Thou shalt have it always, every hour, day and night. For their worm never dies, but always gnaws, and their fire is never quenched, as it is written in Mark 9. Again in this condition thou must be forever, and that is as sad as all the rest. For if a man were to have all his sins laid to his charge, in communion with the devil, and as much wrath as the great God of heaven can inflict upon him, I say if it were but for a time, even ten thousand years, and so end, there would be ground of comfort and hopes of deliverance. But here is thy misery. This is thy state forever. Here thou must be forever. When thou lookest about thee and seest what an innumerable company of howling devils thou art amongst, thou shalt think this again. This is my portion forever. When thou hast been in hell for so many thousands years as there are stars in the firmament or drops in the sea or sands on the seashore, Yet thou hast to lie there forever. Oh, this one word, ever, how will it torment thy soul? Friends, I have only given a very short touch of the torments of hell. Oh, I am set, I am set, and not able to utter what my mind conceives of the torments of hell. Yet let me say to thee, except of God's mercy through our Lord Jesus Christ, lest thou feel that with thy conscience which I cannot express with my tongue, and say, I am sorely tormented in this flame. And seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. When the damned are in this pitiful state, surrounded with fears, with terrors, with torment and vengeance, one thing they shall have, which is this, they shall see the happy and blessed state of God's children, 
he seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom, which, as I said before, is the happy state of the saints when this life is ended. This now shall be so far from being an ease unto them, that it shall most wonderfully aggravate or heighten their torment, as I said before. There shall be weeping, or cause of lamentation, when they shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, and themselves thrust out. He seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. Observe, those that die in their sins are far from going to heaven, and indeed it is just with God to deal with them that die in their sins according to what they have done, and to make them who are far from righteousness now to stand far from heaven to all eternity. Hearken to this, ye stout-hearted, that are far from righteousness, and that are resolved to go on in your sins. When you die, you will be far from heaven. You will see Lazarus, but it will be afar off. Again, he seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. These are some of the things the damned do behold, as soon as they come into torment. Mark, he seeth Lazarus in Abraham's bosom. Lazarus, who was he? Why, even he that was so slighted, so disregarded, so undervalued by this ungodly one while he was in the world, he seeth Lazarus in his bosom. From whence observe that those who live and die the enemies of the saints of God, let them be ever so great and stout, let them bear ever so much sway while they are in the world, let them brag and boast ever so much while they are here, they shall, in spite of their teeth, see the saints, yea, the poor saints, even the Lazaruses or the ragged ones that belong to Jesus, to be in a better condition than themselves. Oh, who do you think was in the best condition? Who do you think saw himself in the best condition? He that was in hell, or he that was in heaven? He that was in darkness, or he that was in light? He that was in everlasting joy, or he that was in everlasting torments? The one with God, Christ, saints, angels, the other in tormenting flames, under the curse of God's eternal hatred, with the devil and his angels, together with an innumerable company of howling, roaring, cursing, ever-burning reprobates. Certainly this observation will be easily proved to be true here in this world by him that looks upon it with an understanding heart and will clear itself to be true in the world to come by such as shall go either to heaven or to hell. Another observation from these words, And seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom, is this, they that are the persecutors of the saints of the Lord now in this world shall see the Lord's persecuted ones to be they that are so highly esteemed by the Lord as to be in Abraham's bosom in everlasting glory. Though the enemies to the children of God did so lightly esteem them that they scorned to let them gather up the dog's meat that fell under their table. This is also verified and held forth plainly by this parable. And therefore be not grieved, O you that are tempted, persecuted, afflicted, sighing, praying saints of the Lord, though your adversaries look upon you now with a disdainful, surly, rugged, proud, and haughty countenance. Yet the time shall come when they shall spy you in Abraham's bosom. I might enlarge upon these things, but shall leave them to the Spirit of the Lord, which can better by ten thousand degrees enlarge them on my heart and conscience than I can upon a piece of paper. Therefore, leaving these to the blessing of the Lord, 
I shall come to the next verse, and shall be brief in speaking to that also, and so pass to the rest. Chapter 7 Page 37 And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy upon me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Verse 24 You know I told you that there is a discovery of the departure of the godly and the ungodly out of this life, where he saith the beggar died and the rich man also died. The next verse is a discovery of the proper places, both of the godly and ungodly after death, one being in Abraham's bosom or in glory, the other in hell. Now here is a discovery of part of the too late repentance of the ungodly when they are dropped down into hell. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy upon me. From the words, and he cried, we may observe first what a change the ungodly will have when they come into hell. He cried. It is likely he was laughing, jesting, jeering, drinking, mocking, swearing, cursing, prating, persecuting the godly in his prosperity among his filthy companions. But now the case is otherwise. Now he is in another frame. Now his proud, stout, churish carriage is come down. And he cried. The laughter of the ungodly will not last always, but will be sure to end in a cry. The triumphing of the wicked is short. Job 20, verse 5. Consider you must have a change, either here or in hell. If you be not new creatures, regenerate persons, newborn babes in this world, before you go hence, your note will be changed, your conditions will be changed. For if you come into hell, you must cry. Oh, did but the singing drunkards, when they are making merry on the alehouse bench, think on this. It would make them change their note and cry, What shall I do? Whither shall I go when I die? But as I said before, the devil, as he labors to get poor souls to follow their sins, so he labors also to keep the thoughts of eternal damnation out of their minds. And indeed these two things are so nearly linked together that the devil cannot well get the soul to go on in sin with the light unless he can keep the thoughts of that terrible afterclap out of their minds. But let them know that it shall not always be thus with them, for if when they depart they drop down into eternal destruction, they shall have such a sense of their sins and the punishment due to the same that it shall make them to cry. And he cried, Oh, what an alteration will there be among the ungodly when they go out of this world! It may be a fortnight or a month before their departure. They were light, stout, surly, drinking themselves drunk, slighting God's people, mocking at goodness, and delighting in sin, following the world, seeking after riches, bearing deliciously, keeping company with the bravest. But now they are dropped down into hell, they cry. A little while ago they were painting their faces, feeding their lusts, following their whores, robbing their neighbors, telling lies, following plays, and sports to pass away the time. But now they are in hell, they do cry. It may be last year they heard some good sermons, were invited to receive heaven, were told their sins should be pardoned if they closed in with Jesus. But refusing his proffers and slighting the grace that was once tendered, they are now in hell and do cry. 
Before they had so much time, they thought that they could not tell how to spend it unless it were in hunting and whoring, in dancing and playing and spending whole hours, yea, days, nay, weeks, in the lust of the flesh. But when they depart into another place and begin to lift up their eyes in hell and consider their miserable and irrecoverable condition, they will cry, O what a condition wilt thou fall into when thou dost depart this world! If thou depart unconverted, and not born again, thou hadst better have been smothered the first hour thou wast born. Thou hadst better have been plucked one limb from another. Thou hadst better have been made a dog, a toad, a serpent, nay, any other creature in the visible world, than to die unconverted. And this thou wilt find to be true, when in hell thou dost lift thine eyes, and dost cry. Here then, before we go any further, you may see that it is not without good ground that these words are spoken by our Lord, that when any of the ungodly do depart into hell, they will cry. Cry? Why so? 1. They will cry to think that they should be cut off from the land of the living, never more to have any footing therein. 2. They will cry to think that the gospel of Christ should be so often proffered to them, and yet they are not profited by it. 3. They will cry to think that now, though they would never so willingly repent and be saved, yet they are past all recovery. 4. They will cry to think that they should be so foolish as to follow their pleasures when others were following Christ. Luke 13.28 5. They will cry to think that they must be separated from God, Christ, and the kingdom of heaven, and that forever. 6. To think that their crying will now do them no good. 7. To think that at the day of judgment they must stand at the left hand of Christ among an innumerable company of damned ones. 8. They will cry to think that Lazarus, whom once they slighted, must be of them that must sit down with Christ to judge, or together with Christ, to pass a sentence of condemnation on their soul forever. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 2 and 3. 9. They will cry to think that when the judgment is over and others are taken into the everlasting kingdom of glory, then they must depart back again into that dungeon of darkness from whence they came out to appear before the terrible tribunal where they shall be tormented so long as eternity lasts without the least intermission or ease. How sayest thou, O thou wanton, proud, swearing, lying, ungodly wretch, whether this be to be slighted and made a mock at. And again tell me, now if it be not better to leave sin and to close in with Christ Jesus, notwithstanding that reproach that thou shalt meet with for so doing, than to live a little while in this world in pleasures, and feeding thy lust, in neglecting the welfare of thy soul, and refusing to be justified by Jesus, and in a moment to drop down to hell and to cry. O consider, I say, consider the times, and put not off the tenders of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, lest you lift up your eyes in hell and cry for anguish of spirit. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy upon me and send Lazarus. These words do not only hold forth the lamentable condition of the damned and their lamentable howling and crying out under their anguish of spirit, but also they do signify to us, as I said before, their too late repentance and also that they would very willingly, if they might, be set at liberty from that everlasting misery 
that by their sins they have plunged themselves into. I say these words do hold a desire that the damned have to be delivered from these torments that they are now in. O Father Abraham, saith he, have mercy upon me and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. However, or whosoever Abraham is, yet these truths may be observed from the words. 1. That the damned, when in an irrecoverable state, will seek for or desire deliverance from the wrath that they are and shall be in for eternity. 2. That they will pray, if I may so call it, earnestly for deliverance from their miserable state. These two things are clear from the words. For Mark, he not only said, Father Abraham, have mercy upon me, but he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy upon me. From whence take a third observation, and that is, there is a time coming wherein though men shall both cry and pray, they are likely to have no mercy at the hand of God. For so was this man served, as I shall further show by and by when I come to it. Some people are so deluded by the devil as to think that God is so merciful as to own and regard anything for prayer. They think anything will go for current and good satisfaction while they are here in this world. Through ignorance of the true nature of the mercy of God and the knowledge in what way God is satisfied for sinners. Now I say through ignorance they think that if they do but mutter over some form of prayers, though they know not what they say nor what they request, yet God is satisfied, yea, very well satisfied with their doings, when alas, there is nothing left. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle is adopted by the Papists, 
all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.